On this episode of the Ninja Tune Podcast, our producer, Azaria May, sits down with Grammy-nominated producer, composer, and graphic designer, Scott Hansen, known professionally as Tycho. Highly respected for his musical output and graphic design work, Tycho has produced and released a hugely successful back catalogue. The albums Epoch and Weather were both nominated for Best Dance and Electronic Album at the Grammy Awards in 2016 and 2019. During our conversation, Will discusses inspirations, the crossroads in his career, and some of the music he's currently working on. Hello, Scott. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Lovely. How is London treating you so far? It's been good. I uh, got in a few days ago, so uh, we had a I did a DJ set last night um, for the release of the Back to Mind compilation, and uh, then we got the show tomorrow at Ali Pali. Yeah, I was going to say, how was the uh, launch party at the at Pickle Factory yesterday? It was fun. That yeah. place is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've DJed there once, and it, it's a really cool place. But um, I'm so excited for your show at Alexandra Palace. I'm going to be there on Saturday, um, but. I'm sure that we can expect some amazing visuals from you because uh, you're really well known for that. And I just wanted to know, can you explain how uh, the music is sort of intrinsically linked to your visuals? I mean, for me, it's always been kind of uh, one and the same. Like the, the idea behind the music is to create a sort of cinematic narrative experience. And I think, uh, you know, to the visuals... I've always been a visual artist. I started visual art long before I started doing music. So uh, for me, that it's not like it comes first in the creative process, but it definitely flows out of out of the music. Well, you grew up in Sacramento, California. Did the nature and structural landscape of your hometown have any influence on your creativity? Because I have listened to you from like a very young age and I used to like sort of go on road trips around the islands where I'm from the Isle of Man and I your music always gave me such a nature like adventure vibe and I I just want to I want to know how that's influenced yeah I think it was hugely influenced by the uh the aesthetic and the environment around I actually grew up in this place called Fair Oaks which is up in the foothills sort of outside Sacramento on the way up to Lake Tahoe so it was it was actually when we when we moved there, it was a pretty rural place. It was it had been uh, mostly like agricultural, uh, kind of like um, it was like a horse ranch or something like that. Oh, there were nice. still horses when we got there, and old barns like falling down, and it was right by the river. So it's just this really like uh, I know it was a pretty pretty magical place to grow up. I, I feel really fortunate for for my upbringing and like the place where I got to grow up. So yeah, I always think I'm channeling that. Um, but then I moved I moved to San Francisco in the '90s uh, first, and uh, I think the the ocean definitely had a big influence on me as well. So I think just Northern California in general, it's a beautiful yeah. place, you know. I feel like people who grow up in a place where there's lots of nature and then, you know, moving to a big city, it's kind of the same thing that I've done myself. You do sort of, do you find that you appreciate the nature even more do, when you go, do you go back to Sacramento? Often? Yeah, I go back. Um, I mean, that's the thing about the Bay Area is it's surrounded by it, sort of. Yeah. So, like, you don't have to go that far, and you're you're in it. I mean, the city's tiny. And I actually, um, we just moved, uh, like, a year and a half ago to Oakland, which is on the other side of the Bay, which is a little bit more, we're up in the hills where it's, you know, there's trees and stuff. So it, it, it reminds me a lot more of home than the city did. That's lovely. So where where else do you like to go that's not in America, Chilla? To Is there anywhere else that you like to go to draw inspiration from nature? 
Not in the States, you said? Not in the States. I always had Canada. Like, I visualize your music and Canada as, like, a big yeah. big thing for me. Canada's beautiful. BC is beautiful. Um, I think uh, I think the most visually inspiring place I've ever been is probably uh, Chile. It, there's uh, this place called the Atacama Desert. And wow. It just looked like... I think they filmed, like, some of, of the old Star Wars there. Like, it's just... It looks like you're on the moon or something. Or you're on, like, another planet. And it's... Uh, it was beautiful, and we went to like Patagonia, a bunch of South America. Like, there's just some really otherworldly type landscapes down there. So, take me back to your childhood. What was your life like growing up, and when did a love of music sort of make itself known to you? Uh, I think you know I was born in the '70s, but I don't really remember the '70s. But you know, I was born in 1977, so it was like by the time I was really conscious, I think uh, all that stuff was sort of fading. But my parents' music taste and all that, like those were. The first records I was exposed to were like disco and like soul stuff. That was the kind of stuff they were into. Um, so I had a lo- lifelong appreciation for music and I was really obsessed with it from a listener's perspective, but I never touched a musical instrument till I was like uh, like 19 or 20. Wow. And like through, so I, I got really into drum and bass in the 90s when I went away to college at, in San Francisco and uh, like Ronnie Size and, and Fotech and LTG Bookham and, and all that stuff that like that period in music really I just want to know how it was made I was because you know I'd listen to like rock my whole life and I pretty much had a vague idea of how that happened like there's a guy with a guitar and there's some drums and whatever but this stuff was like I don't even know how this is made and uh and so like I started kind of trying to get into that I actually my friend gave me an old drum machine that was broken so I took it to a music shop and I played them actually this Fotex song and I was like how did this guy make this and they're like it doesn't work that way. You can't just, <laughs> I don't know how he made it. And I was like, what do I need to make this? And they're like, I have no clue what you're talking about. So yeah, but I got like a drum machine and then a sampler and, and just kind of started, the, you know, the, it started via technology for me. I, I needed the, that, that was the stuff that I was really interested in. And then slowly I learned to play keyboard and guitar and all that. Can you name a song from your childhood that stands out as inspirational, like from this time that you're describing? Well, that, I mean, that, yeah, I was, it wasn't really childhood, but yeah, I was like 18 or 19. But yeah, Fotech, uh, it used to be called Pharaoh, but I think they changed the name to Rings Around Saturn for, I think, licensing reasons, because it had a oh, break. Really? It had a break from a song called Pharaoh in it, and I think that was too literal or something. But when it appeared on Logical Progression, it was called Pharaoh, and then later it was Rings Around Saturn. But I that's like, like that. my favorite Ring, song of Rings all time. Rings Around Saturn has like, that's like very, vi- well, obviously it's quite visual, but I like that. It's a good, yeah. it's a good name change. Yeah, it's cool. So is it true you went to college to pursue a career in computer science? Because that is such a career change. Yeah, I mean, it is. Yes, I I was just really interested in computers, but I didn't know why. I didn't know what I wanted to do with them. And I think that was just kind of like the default thing. Like, oh, you could program computers. And then like when I went and I had access to a computer finally, um, you know, with, with any power, we had a home computer, but it was really old. And uh, I got Photoshop and I realized like, oh, you can do creative things with this. Like it's not just coding. And then um, I ended up, that's what I ended up doing is like interface design, UX and stuff like designing software interfaces. Uh, And then in my spare time though, I'd design posters and like CD covers and stuff. So that was like, my dream was always to like get into print, uh, print design, which is much these days, or even in those days, it was a much harder uh, industry to get into because web was just. There's, you know, dime a dozen web jobs. So what point did you sort of reach this crossroads on your choice to stay in your line of work or pursue music? Uh, I think, 
I mean, there's a couple of waypoints. Uh, I think the when I decided to get serious about music and like finish a release, I got injured and I got uh, I took a lot of time. Off. I was able to take a lot of time off work. My boss was like super cool about it, and so I just was like home for six months, <laughs> getting like recovering. And uh, and I made I made my first EP, Science of Patterns. But then I still kept doing it in my spare time. Uh, you know, I I f- that was the first time I finished something I felt comfortable with releasing, but it didn't become a my job until like 2009 i decided i had just like been doing freelance design work and i i uh i just got to the point where i was comfortable enough where i could like pay my rent for like a you know a while without uh having to worry and so i I was able to quit my job and and uh and that's when i made dive or finished dive over that year and then we started touring as a band in like 2010 2011 late 2010 i always find it like so interesting when musicians have this like complete career change like art garfunkel earned his master's degree in mathematics and i found out that brian may um was studying astrophysics oh wow and he later so he before he hit stardom that's what he was doing and then he actually later on in his life he published like a report about all about like astro things to do with astrophysics so you're like you're like in this group of no sick guys, musicians those guys have- actually <laughs> have college degrees i do not have a college degree <laughs> It's just a piece of paper. Yeah, yeah. You know, knowledge, knowledge transcends the paper. You know, so do you create this? This question here is for the for the real music heads out there. Do you create your music first through analog production and then electronically, or is it all done digitally? Do you mean like hardware versus software? Yeah, instruments and stuff. Yeah, it depends. I mean, most of the stuff I started out with in the early two thousands was uh, virtual analog because that was like the flavor of the day or whatever you know like everything was mm. uh digital sense trying to sound like analog sense was still the thing but so that i think like a lot of my sound has to do with that like uh like basically digital sense trying to sound like old sense so i still use a lot of those but i do use a lot of analog sense as well um and i'd say these days it's probably it's always been about 50 50 like uh software instruments but once i record um the instrument whether it's a guitar or a synth pretty much I almost always record dry and almost all the effects are, are plugins. So it's, it's pretty, just so it can be flexible, you know, cause once you record destructively with, with any time-based effects, uh, or anything, it's, uh, you don't have as much choices later in the production process. And is there a genre or specific album you've drawn inspiration from? Like this can be just throughout your lifetime that people might not expect you to listen to after listening to your music. Your music, you know, is very emotive, almost meditative and like very chill and like, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. I think, I mean, there's some obvious choices, but yeah, the the less obvious would probably be um, like Interpol and Block Party and uh, that kind of period... (gasps) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Silent alarm. Yeah, that was the best. <laughs>
yeah, that period in music, like for me, was like this re because you know I had listened to like Led Zeppelin and all that stuff growing up, like every other mm -hmm. kid, and uh, so I was into rock. But then like I got into electronic, and that that period in rock was what brought me back and like I was like oh like that really driven I don't even know what you call that sound but mm -hmm. that kind of got me into like post-rock and like kraut rock and so like that that really informed my ideas of what how I wanted guitar to play a role in in my own music so um yeah I think uh and then Zach the guitarist and bassist from the band um he's really into that same stuff so we really bonded over that that kind of sound and and developed the sound we ended up having for like a wake I think based on our mutual love of those those bands. Because your music has such a distinctive sound, and when I listen to it, I almost feel um, like I'm some sort of main character in a great movie of self-discovery, which I know sounds a bit pretentious, but it does just make me feel like, you know, I said earlier on um, outside the studio that when I was a young teenager, I used to put your music on like with my with my friends and do sort of like road trips around the island, you know, camping on the beaches. How would you describe your music and how do you want your music to be perceived by the listener? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, to describe. Um, I, I guess like I always just think of it as kind of like uh, ambient. I use that word because that like, you know, I, to me that always meant producers who like thought a lot about the the timbre and the texture and the tonality of things and mm. in addition you know there's melodic structure and all that stuff but they're also thinking about like how exactly you know like boards of canada fx twin and stuff like that was was huge hugely influential for me but for the the way i want people to experience it i, I guess like that's the beauty of instrumental music i think in general is like you're saying you can kind of take it and make it into this like narrative thing for your own life and like kind of make it your own so i, I guess if people are are finding it useful in that way that's that's really fulfilling to me what was your favorite record to make and why oh, oh, i know that must be a hard one because you, <laughs> you they're all like your babies you know what i mean it's like your life's work so it must be hard to choose just one yeah i mean they were all the processes were all so different i definitely awaken epoch um were really stressful because there's like a time it's that's what's interesting is like dive for me was cool like because I was just doing it in my spare time for like five years, just messing around. And then like in 2009, I'm like, all right, I got to get serious and finish this record. And so like, it really was like a really long process. And it was cool because like you had all this, uh, you had the luxury of, of having perspective and having time to like come back to things and understand what they really mean to you instead of just like this. Mm -hmm. But then there's something beautiful about that, like visceral in the moment thing that happened with Awake and Epoch. Um, so yeah, anyways, <laughs> to answer your question, I, I really have no idea. The, the album I'm working on right now has been much more like Dive, but I'm also, I feel like I'm more mature as a as an artist and a producer, so like I, I'm able to appreciate the process a little more. So this has actually been my favorite, um, this last few years working on this record has been probably my favorite process. And the albums Epoch and Weather were both nominated for Best Dance and Electronic Album at the Grammy Awards. What did that moment mean to you i mean it was uh yeah it was just incredibly surreal that uh <laughs> i mean it's all you know i guess as a as an artist you're always just surprised anybody's listening and then and then you know you build a career around it and that's surprising enough and then to have like the mainstream or, or at least the traditional music industry like uh recognize what you're you're doing is kind of kind of crazy you know does it still after all this time sort of do you still think wow people listen to me? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. That That's why shows are cool is because it, it reminds you, like, there is somebody out there listening. Because, like, I think, uh, you know, with the kind of music I make and, and kind of my lifestyle, like, I'm mostly in the studio and just, like, not really going out and experience, you know, like, not interacting with, with fans. Like, I'm not, like, touring nonstop or anything like that. We used to tour a lot more. So when you do go out and play shows, it, it reminds you, like, oh, you're connecting with these people and, and this means something to them. And, and you hear how, like... How the music's affected them or whatever and it's it's really like humbling and and uh and inspirational so it's uh yeah it's a beautiful thing anytime you get to hear somebody's story about like how they they interpret the music or how they how they use it in their life so we have a question here from a uh listener and it's name a piece of music gear in your studio which helps to create your characteristic sound yeah it's hard it's hard it must to be hard to pick just one well because like i i think the sound or whatever you want to call it or you know whatever sound i've developed over time like it's it's the sum total of a lot of things and uh and i also use a lot of things in very similar ways but i think if there's one maybe the mini moog model d uh synthesizer it's like an analog monophonic synth i i think that's probably like my i think of that as like my main instrument and i think that uh you probably hear that most on uh, mostly on the records, or you know that's the instrument you hear the most. On the well, record. there you have it. Get get yourself out there and go and grab one of those. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> not very easy to come by. <laughs> really? Is it? Oh is yeah, it's it really rare? old. Yeah, oh. somebody gave it to me like twenty years ago, so I was really lucky. I mean, back when nobody really cared about these things. Yeah. But now they're just it's ridiculous. Oh wow. Well, I, <laughs> maybe not then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So it took six years to release your much-loved album, Dive, but only eight months to make the equally as inspiring album, Awake. Why is this? Touring, the reality of of, uh, of being a professional musician. You know, you're on the road for like a year and a half, and then you come home and you have this window in which to create a new album and then get back on the road. And like, that was actually... It was cool, though, because like, I always like really looked up to these bands, like I was saying, like Block Party or Interpol, and you'd hear the stories of how all these records are made it's like oh we were like yeah we spent two weeks in a studio somewhere and you know it's like what how the hell you know like because they've been practicing these songs Mm. playing them live whereas my music is like the result of this iterative production process and like experimentation it's not like i'm coming up with like a melody in my head and like hashing it out on a guitar and then going to a studio in a few months and and recording it it's it's you know it's the electronic music process is a lot different I, i think so with Awake, I was like, oh, I, I wanted to be a, feel a little bit more like that and see what it was like to like just quickly write music, record it, and put it out. And uh, and so, you know, looking back, it's it's raw. I, th- I think it feels a lot more raw than the other records, but it's also there's something there that I, I feel like is missing when um, you have too much time to go back and like rethink every single decision. It was like clear that every one of those decisions was made like in the moment and uh, and just lived with them, you know.
So one of the most uh, common preconceptions of failure for musicians is having to get a day job while pursuing a career in music. And I know a lot of my friends in the field, like they do feel that sense of failure or, or you know, oh, how can I how can I sort of push through and um, make music my full time uh, occupation? But what advice would you give to artists who are feeling this this way? I don't think I mean, that's not a failure at all. If if, if you're doing anything with music and you're appreciate because I guess I'll say from my perspective, I've been doing this, you know, like 25 years. And uh, I think the part that still keeps me going is the same part that I was able to do back then. It's that moment of inspiration when you get home from work and, you know, cause like there's a lot that goes into being a professional musician that has nothing to do with music. So you'd be amazed like how little time you actually get to spend on music a lot of the time. So it's that moment that you can carve out for yourself with music and that moment of inspiration where the song's like evolving out of nothing and you're like connected to it. And it's, it's like this really intimate moment between you and the song. And like, that's still the same. That's exactly the same as it was when I had a job, uh, you know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, whatever. And it, as it is now. So like, I think don't, I know that there's fulfillment that comes out of getting paid to do it. And that's, Mm. that's a whole other thing. And and that's, that's something awesome to strive for. But I think if you're a musician and you're finding joy and and passion out of the the process, that's you've won already, you know, that's just, it's an incredible gift to to be able to have. But I will say I was extremely conservative and I didn't quit. (laughs) I kept my day job like till the very last minute. So like, I, I never, I, I never made this like huge like jumping off a cliff type thing. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna leave it all behind to pursue this this, yeah. this passion. So don't beat yourself up if you have if you have a job. It's still still a fun thing to do. Well, I'm sure your words will definitely mean a lot to a lot of young musicians out there. But can you name a song you're loving at the moment? Uh let's see. That's a good question. I just found. Um... Oh, uh, DJ Streaks. I think he's from here. Um, he. Uh... He has, there's a couple songs I really like by his, by him. He does this like really kind of, it's almost like lo-fi house, like old school house. Reminds me of like stuff I started listening to when I first got into house. Um, but he has a song called Day and Night. It's really good. Day and Night. It's, got, it's got a sample of that. that Day old, and Night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's so weird song. because like I don't understand how the licensing works. I think it's so subtle and it's he changed mm. it so much. It didn't get caught by like the Spotify algorithm. Or maybe he literally got permission. I wonder, but he's like, he seems, I don't know. I see all these DJs and I'm like, I, how the hell did you get permission to use this crazy song? Or maybe they just, yeah, maybe it's like a cover and you're paying all the royalties back to the artist. I mean, I know uh, a few producers in the in the scene over here and they they do some wild things and they just get away, they just get away with these crazy samples and I know they haven't been cleared. So I'm like, I think it's just a thing that people do. I think so. I think if you can fly under the radar... <laughs> And then I guess it's just bad luck on you if you get caught. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this next question is extremely random and something I came across online. Are you familiar with Taiko Brahi? Of course, yeah. I mean, that was the that was the inspiration for the name. <laughs> yes, okay. I thought so, because um, for those who don't know, uh, Taiko Brahi made accurate observations of the stars and planets. His study of the new star that appeared in 1572 showed that it was further away from the moon and was among the fixed stars, which are regarded as perfect and unchanging. That's beautiful. So, that's, that's a beautiful piece of writing, isn't it? I'm... I, I thought, because I came across this and I just thought, it's got, 
especially with all your you know visual aspects of your live shows and you know um, what I was talking about how your music really seems celestial in a way so I was like this has definitely got to be linked yeah, I th- uh, I think it's actually Tico. I went to Denmark once, and they're like, "Oh no, no, it's oh, pronounced Tico." <laughs> I go, I I pronounce it Tico, but uh, yeah, that was what he went by. But I remember the reason I picked it is I, I used, and I don't know how accurate this is. This is a very vague memory now, but the, what I read is his, his like understudy was Johannes Kepler, and uh, who came around and he basically understood. He he took so Tico Brahe was like uh like this he was like obsessed with observing like the details. He was like super zoomed in on the details, but he couldn't make sense. He was just collecting data and he couldn't really make sense of what it all meant. And then Kepler came along and he kind of sorted it out and figured out like planetary motion and stuff. So like he was able to interpret and like I feel like there's something to that in the production process sometimes. Like you get so obsessed with the detail, or I I do at least with the technology and the details, because that's like actually probably what I'm more passionate about. And then, like, something emotional and melodic or or whatever can evolve out of that. But, like, sometimes it's hard to separate yourself and say, like, you got to, you know, you got to stop focusing on these little things and, like, think about the big picture. So, like, I feel like that's always the big uh, conflict in my my process. I don't know. I wouldn't call it a conflict, but that's that's the push and pull. So you spoke about a new album in the works earlier. Can you give us any hint about what what any features you know any what's that what's the new album going to be like so i know you said it's similar to dive it's i wouldn't say sonically it's super similar i would say it's just the process has been the fact that i've had all this time and uh and perspective on it but yeah it's 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 a lot of material so i'm not quite sure where it's going to land like maybe it'll end up being like really diverse or maybe I'll, i'll end up focusing like on a really specific sound but um yeah, it's just it's instrumental and uh and I think it's it's got a lot of like notes from um I I I want to think of it as like the the follow-up to Epoch, like mm-hmm. picking up where Epoch left off, I think. So uh if that means anything. <laughs> so I wanted to chat a little bit about one of your most recent uh singles, the track Inevitable Ecstasy, featuring Superposition formless and alan watts and i was surprised to see the feature from alan on there and the whole track sort of feels quite meditative you know um can you explain the process behind that and what was the idea of that song i had absolutely nothing to do with that song really (laughs) i mean there's samples from uh i believe disconnect in there um or I think just a couple samples off of Passes Prologue, but they just asked to use that, and I was like, "Sounds good." Like they explained the project to me, and and I was like, "Oh, that sounds awesome." <laughs> but I I was not like in the room. I had nothing to do with the oh, concept. Really? So when I heard it, I was like, "Oh man, this is amazing!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it. I I really love that song. It's like really really chill. It's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. It's really yeah. beautiful. I'm just. Quickly, for those who don't know, uh, Alan Watts was an English writer, speaker and self-styled philosopher, entertainer known for interpreting and popularising Japanese, Chinese and Indian traditions of Buddhist, Taoist and Hindu philosophy for a Western audience. So but we're all learning things here today. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> so um, what, are your, what are some of your favourite spots to hit up while you're in London? Because when was the last time you were here? The last time was the like the end of the <laughs> we we played uh, Printworks like right as COVID was just like 
like we were we were actually worried we weren't going to be able to fly home and uh because they were canceling all these shows and then starting to like you know right after we got home they like canceled flights and stuff uh so yeah it was the it was the very end but uh brick lane is always my favorite place to go because that's the best food ever <laughs> in the world yeah in the world wow I mean, that's yeah, saying just, that is saying something i love indian wow. food and tikka masala and all that stuff so oh beautiful <laughs> yeah. beautiful did you know that printworks is apparently closing Damn. So I heard that, but then I was talking to someone last night and they were saying, you know, they're still sh- having shows and there's some rumblings that maybe they're, it's, it's gonna, not, it's it's not going to close It's or a big lie. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's great. Or like somebody's going to come in venue. and save it or who knows. Yeah. Well, they have to. That, um, that venue is like, it's iconic. It's amazing. Yeah. I was so sad to hear that. I was surprised because that seems like the best thing going. That's like one of the coolest venues we've ever played at. Well, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on today. It has been truly been a pleasure speaking to you thanks for having me appreciate it